We're in Matthew chapter 8, and we've been kind of going through the book of Matthew this last, um, I guess, couple of years, almost, and um, we're going to look at a, a frightening text this morning in Matthew eight twenty-eight to 34. And so let's go ahead and, and begin here this morning by reading this text. Again, that's Matthew chapter 8, starting at verse 28. And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Now, I, I told you that this was a frightening text, and at first you might think, yes, two demon-possessed men so fierce that no one could pass that way. That'd be frightening, yes. Fierce demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs. You know, we kind of read this and we, we read it in the, in the comfort of church here or the comfort of our home and, and uh, maybe beside the fireplace or whatever. And, and, and we, don't, we don't really think about it. We don't really enter into it. But I would suggest that if there was two demon-possessed men standing outside the door, so fierce that none of us could leave by the front door this morning, we would, we would maybe think a little bit differently about what's happening in this text. You'd think a little differently about the current situation. A couple of demon-possessed men standing at the door, not letting anyone go along their road. And so we need to try to, as best as we can this morning, enter into this story and imagine... Two demon-possessed men coming out to meet us from the tombs, crying out. That word is used sometimes as, a, as just a shriek, but in this case, they're crying out, what have you to do with us? And I'm sure Jesus and uh, or Jesus' disciples were a few steps behind the, the master that morning as, as that started to happen. But there's another frightening moment here, one that we might not as easily recognize, I called this message two frightening meetings. Two terrifying meetings is actually what I called it. <coughs> two terrifying meetings. The first is the meeting with the demon-possessed men. Then we see them begging to go into the pigs, and, and for a brief moment we have the demon pigs, and then we have dead pigs. That's the first terrifying meeting. 
The second terrifying meeting is in verses 33 and 34. The city came out to meet Jesus and they begged him to leave. Now you might say, well, how is that terrifying? It's not nearly as scary as the first meeting in, in one sense. There's, there's nothing terrifying about the villagers themselves. What's scary here is that Jesus grants their request. Jesus gave them what they asked for. And if you look at the next verse, chapter 9 and verse 1, and getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And so they begged him to leave and he left. God left them there and with his leaving, the only hope of salvation left with him as well. They got what they wanted and getting it, they lost the only thing that they actually needed. They begged Jesus to leave and he left. And this is more terrifying than demons if you think about it. A couple of demon-possessed men might beat you physically, but without the Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation that is in him, we face eternity in hell. Now, I've been talking through, uh, in men's ministry the past four weeks or so, we've been talking about the doctrine of men, the doctrine of man. We've, we've been studying the depravity of man, man's sinfulness. And we've been looking at what scripture teaches about man. We've been really, we've been looking at scripture after scripture. And here's what we've seen in brief. Man, and, and I mean, I mean mankind here, men and women, man has hardness of heart. Ephesians 4.18. He is alienated from the life of God. Ephesians 4.18. We are darkened in our understanding. Again, Ephesians 4.18. Our minds are corrupted such that, that, that what we did and pursue can be called futility. Ephesians 4.17. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2.1. We're by nature children of wrath. Ephesians 2.3. We're in the flesh, and we do the desires of the flesh and of the mind, Ephesians 2.2. 2. Being in the flesh, we set our minds on the flesh, and therefore we are hostile towards God, Romans 8.7. We don't submit to God's law, indeed we cannot do so, Romans 8.7. We're alienated from God, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, Colossians 1 and 21. None of us are righteous, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God, no one fears God, Romans 3, 10 to 18. And in short, man is without hope and without God in the world, Ephesians 2 and verse 12. And in such a state of hardness and hostility, in such wicked indifference and ignorance, in this state of enslaving depravity, the worst thing that could ever happen to us is for God to give us what we want when we're in that state. The most fearful thing is for God to leave us alone because left to ourselves, we will continue in our sins and iniquities and transgressions. Left to ourselves, our hard hearts will beg God to leave us alone because we love darkness rather than light, John 3.19. Left to ourselves, we suppress the truth in unrighteousness, Romans 1.18, and we worship the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen, Romans 
25. And so the thought of God heeding a request to leave us when we're in an unregenerate state is a frightening prospect. And so we can thank God this morning that he doesn't always do so. We can thank God that he doesn't leave us alone and that he overcomes our darkness with the light of his gospel. We can thank God that he overcomes our spiritual death and makes us alive with Christ. Thank God that he sometimes removes a heart of stone and gives a heart of flesh. Because if he didn't do that, if he didn't draw us by grace, we would never come to him. If he didn't choose us, we would never choose him. We read this morning, and, and let's, let's just go back there here, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse chapter 1 and verse 9. We read this morning that God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ before the world began. And so if, if we, we recognize here that if God didn't do this, if, if God didn't by his own purpose and grace save us and, and draw us to himself, nobody would ever come. If he didn't first love us, we would never come to love him, 1 John 4.18. And so thank God for his saving grace. He would have been perfectly righteous to leave us as we were, but he chose to open our hearts and reveal himself to us. But in our text, he chose to leave those people alone when they begged him to leave him, and he departed from their region. And so our text this morning opens up to us then both of these terrifying meetings and shows us that Jesus has the authority to cast the demons from us, or to leave us to our own depraved hearts. He has the power to cast out demons. He has the power to leave us alone. And so we should be careful what we ask God for. And we should rejoice when we don't get what we wanted when we were unsaved rebels against our powerful Savior. And so our text divides then neatly into two parts this morning. First, we're going to see a, a meeting with demon-possessed men in verses 28 to 32. A meeting with demon-possessed men. And then second, we're going to see a meeting with demon-like men. A meeting with demon-like men in verses 33 and 34. Now this text is once again designed to show us the amazing authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has authority over demons. We've seen already in, in 23 to 27 that he has authority over nature. Remember, he calmed the storm on his way over to the other side here. We saw he, that he has authority over sickness. And in chapter 8, 1 to 22, he healed the leper. He healed the centurion slave. And he healed Peter's mother-in-law. And then he healed in that context the whole village and area of Capernaum of everyone who is demon-possessed or sick. Jesus' supernatural authority is supposed to show us his identity as God the Son, the Christ, the Messiah, the King of Israel. And, and seeing that, Matthew wants us to repent and believe Jesus and to come to him and follow him and become disciples of his. And so we're to see who Jesus is and we're to then 
follow him. We see his authority and recognize who he is as the, the savior of, the, of his people. And then we're to, to follow him and, and become his disciples. And so if he comes to you through his word today, do not harden your hearts like the Gadarenes. Do not beg him to leave. Instead, beg him to save you. Or if you are saved this morning, then thank him. This is going to be an opportunity to thank him for what he's done in your life. And so let's look at these two meetings one by one. And let's see the amazing authority of Jesus Christ. Or let's see the uh, amazing Christ, the King of Kings. And we'll see him first in the meeting, number one, with demon-possessed men. A meeting with demon-possessed men against verse 28 to 32. And you'll remember from our, our previous study that Jesus was in Galilee, the, the city village of Capernaum, surrounded by a crowd. And, and you can see that if you look back at verse 18. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go to the other side. So Jesus commanded, he, he gave orders to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And when they got in the boat, those disciples that, that came with him and followed his command, he, they, they started to the other side. Remember, a huge storm arose that, that Jesus stilled with a word. Now, the only thing that happens on the other side is what, what happens in our text. And then in verse 9, or ch- in chapter 9 and verse 1, Jesus goes back to Capernaum. And so he, he goes here through the storm, deals with the demons, and then ends up coming right back straight away. That kind of makes us wonder, at least it makes me wonder, if, if somehow the storm wasn't influenced by Satan. But regardless, Jesus goes through the storm. He overcomes that with his authority. He commands it to be still. It's still. And then he casts out the demons. And then he returns to Capernaum. Verse 28 says, when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes. And there's a bit of a a textual issue here. Uh, A few manuscripts have the the Gergesenes instead of Gadara. And Matthew and Luke have Gerasenes. So there's the the Gergesenes, there's the Gerasenes, and there's the area of Gadara. Gadara was the, the, a bigger city about five miles away from the lake with, with territory that extended to the water. Gadara, uh, and, and the Gerasenes is, is probably the name of the closer city or the, the city or the village where the herdsmen flee to and, and probably where they likely came from. And, um, anyway, the, you know, Matthew has it right here, the, the, the Gadarenes, that's the, that's the, Gad, Gadara is the bigger city five miles away that kind of this whole country where this, these smaller villages are is, um, is the area where Jesus is. And this area is across from the Sea of Galilee in, in Gentile, mostly Gentile territory. And it's the, it's the only place on the sea on that side where there's a bit of a, a, a bank or a hill that leads into the water. And so verse 28 continues. He comes to the other side and Two demon-possessed men meet him, coming out of the tomb so fierce that no one could pass that way. Now here we meet two demon-possessed men. Now if you know this story from Mark or Luke, you you know that they focus on one demon-possessed man with multiple demons. But Matthew knows of 
two men, and so he tells us about the, the two men. Matthew's version of the story is like it, like it always is with Matthew's stories. They're much shorter. Luke and Mark kind of just like to tell the story for the story's sakes. Matthew just tells us what he needs to tell us in order to get his main point across. He gives us always the, the minimum amount of information to make his point. But Mark and Luke, they focus on the, the more prominent of the two men, the kind of the, the, the key, the key man of the two men, the most demon possessed of the two men. That man, if you look at Matthew and, and, or Mark and Luke there, he had a legion of demons within him. And these men, they lived in the hills around the area and they, they seem to have taken shelter in the tombs which were, were most likely kind of caves and there was, there's kind of these deep caves and, and there would be multiple tombs in there and then, and there'd be always a, a little welcoming area, a little entry area and it seems that the men have kind of began to live in these caves of these tombs. And Matthew tells us that they were so fierce that no one could pass that way. No one was literally strong enough to. Nobody was able, nobody had the ability to go along that road. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that it was a main road or a prime road, but it, it, just even a path, but nobody could go that way. Now, listen to how Mark describes these men. This is Mark 5, 2. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat... Immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and out on the mountains, he was always crying out, and cutting himself with stones. Now Luke adds that for a long time, the man had actually worn no clothes. And so he's a, a, a naked man in the wilderness. Matthew says he's so fierce. So fierce. Uh, and, and of course, Matthew's speaking about the two men. But so fierce is from two Greek words. The, the first word means hard or difficult, violent dangerous. And the second word means very much or exceedingly or, or quite or, or so. And so these men who immediately came and met Jesus when he crossed the sea, these men were exceedingly dangerous, very hard or, or quite violent, quite violent. And the result of their dangerous, violent behavior was that no one was able to take that road. Nobody was able to go that way. And it seems that even from time to time, the authorities were involved. And they, they, they shackled the man and they chained the man, but the man broke the chains and the shackles with supernatural strength. No one could match the power of the demonic influence until Jesus Christ came and showed his power over the spiritual forces of wickedness. And I just love that. That is just so great. Nobody could do it until the Lord Jesus Christ shows up. Now let's, let's just kind of stop for a minute and let's talk a little bit about demons and demon possession. This is kind of the first time that, that we've seen the, the demons. We did see them a little bit. They're cast out in chapter four, um, chapter eight, a little bit as well in Capernaum. 
But Satan was created good, and, and he seems to have been one of the greatest angels or one of the, the, the greatest spirit beings created by God. God created Satan and the angels most likely before he created the earth. And Satan, Scripture tells us, wanted to be like God. He was jealous of God's worship, and he, he fell into sin. He rebelled against God. And apparently one-third of the holy angels joined together with Satan in this rebellion. And these fallen angels we now call demons. Matthew 25, 41 tells us about the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. The devil and his angels. And that's how we know that these were, these were angels. But now they're the, the devil's angels. That, that verse says they're his angels. They're the devil's angels and they follow him and they do his will and they seem to be perfectly subordinated under Satan to follow his orders. So that scripture sometimes, when it speaks about what demons do, it will just feel free to, to say that Satan had done it because they're under his authority. Ephesians chapter 6 shows us that there's many names and likely many ranks among this wicked group of spirits. Ephesians 6.11 says, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So these evil beings work with Satan, who's called the adversary, that's what Satan means, and they try to, to wrestle us, we wrestle against them as we seek to live in a manner worthy of our calling, of our salvation. And they're involved in tempting us to sin and to live according to the passions of the flesh and the thinking of the world. They somehow are involved in tempting us to do those things, to live according to the flesh or the world. And the adversary, Satan, is against God. And because he uh, can't really hurt God and can't do anything against God, he then comes and attacks us, God's people, God's, especially the, the, the elect, the saved, but even um, just mankind itself, God's creation. And so he is God's adversary and he is our adversary. He resists God's work in the world. He tries to resist God's work. It must be so frustrating for him that God always overrides him and does and accomplishes whatever he purposes. But Satan and his wicked angels fight against whatever God is doing. So when God was creating Israel as a nation that was to be set apart, Satan tried to destroy Israel through foreign armies or through foreign gods by, by getting them to worship false gods. He tempted them to trust false gods rather than to trust Yahweh. Today, when, when world evangelism is God's work and our task is to bring the message of truth to the nations, Satan resists by false teaching, by false teachers, and through false gospel messages. Paul talks in 1 Timothy 4.1 about the doctrines of demons and deceitful spirits. They, they try to bring in false teaching to undermine God's truth. We're to bring the truth Satan counters with creating false gospels or distracting us from the mission that God has given us. Whatever God is doing, Satan mocks and he, he sets up counterfeit versions of it. And he twists and he distorts God's pure and holy ways. 
And it's interesting to notice that the demon possession was rare in the Old Testament. And it's actually quite rare in the book of Acts. And in the epistles, we see all, really nothing about it. it. It's rare in the book of Revelation or during the time of the tribulation. But in the Gospels, we see demon possession all over the place. Commentator Leon Morris said this. He said, quote, We should notice that demon possession is rare if it occurs at all in the Old Testament. And there are very few examples after the Gospels. In the Bible, demon possession is part of the upsurge of evil opposing Jesus in the time of his incarnation, end quote. And so he says demon possession is part of the upsurge of evil in the time of the incarnation, in the, in the time where Jesus took on human flesh. He took on a human nature. And so Jesus has come in the, in the, in the flesh. He's come as a man, God and man, and, and what do the demons do? Well, they mock it. They copy it. They, they imitate it by possessing evil men. And I think that explains, at least to me, it, it seemed very powerful. It, it explains why we see so much of it during Jesus' ministry and, and the earthly ministry of the apostles during the time of Jesus, but, but really almost nothing in Acts. I, I think there's one time where Paul gets annoyed and casts out a demon. There's also no instruction to the church to cast out demons. Now, I I think it could happen today, but our mission, as I said before, is not to cast out demons, it's to preach the gospel. Demons cannot possess Christians. Christians are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And we're told to submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from us, James 4, 7. Demons did and presumably still can possess unbelievers. They seem to take control of the person to varying degrees. One preacher said it's not like a switch on or off. It's kind of like a slider. There's like, there's almost degrees of, of influence that the demons can have over a person. But in our text, the demons seem to have almost full control of this man. They even talk through the man. It's not the man talking. It's the demons talking through these men. And they've also given these men supernatural strength, even breaking chains. Chains that were made to hold men down. No, Nothing could hold these men down. These men are, when you think about it, they're almost more demon than they are men. Mark and Luke tell us that the one man that they focus on had a whole legion of demons possessing him. And so let's go now to verse 29. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? So the demons recognize Jesus as the Son of God. They know who he is. Now, the only other time so far in this gospel that Jesus has been called the Son of God is, is, is by Satan in Matthew 4 and verse 3. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And again in verse 6, he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Now, later on by Matthew 16, verse 16, we're going to see Peter's confession. Peter says this, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
But that's not till Matthew 16. But for now, it's Satan and the demons who know who Jesus is. And they ask if he's come to torment them before the time. They know that Jesus is the one who will punish them in hell for their sins. The final judgment of angels who sinned is going to be the same as the punishment for sinful men. It's the lake of fire, uh, eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Most often we call it hell. It's a, a place of torment and the demons know that they're going there in the end at the proper time. And so they say, have you come to torment us before the time? And they say to him before that, what have you to do with us? What have you to do with us? What, what to us to you is literally what it is. It's, it's a rhetorical question meant to say something like there's, there's no connection between us, Jesus. What, what do we have to do with you? There's no common ground. Leave us alone. It's kind of like a, a leave us alone. What are you doing here? But they know Jesus is not going to leave them alone. And it seems that he's come just to cast out the demons out of these particular men. Now Matthew tells us in verse 30, now there, a herd of pigs was, was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him saying, if you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. Now this part of the story is, is where some questions come up for most of us. Why do the demons want to go into the pigs? They begged Jesus. They, they urged him. They, they pled with him to go into the pigs. Mark and Luke tell us that they, they, they didn't want to be sent out of the country or they didn't want to be sent, Luke says, to the abyss. But, but why do they want to go into the pigs? Well, we don't really know. Unclean animals, unclean spirits, but other than that, I don't know. The, the, the form of their question is if, if you cast us out, it assumes that that Jesus was going to do just that. They, they, they're assuming that Jesus is going to cast them out. And so they say, well, if you do that, send us into the pigs. And notice that the demons, they know that if Jesus wants to cast them out, they will be cast out. There, there's no thought here of a fight. These demonized men were so fierce that no one could go on their path, but they won't try to fight Jesus. They have no thought of trying to resist his will. Instead, they, they beg him, they plead with him, they urge him to be allowed to go into the herd of pigs. And so you see what's happening here? Demons can do nothing without Jesus' permission. They can't even run away into the pigs on their own without his permission. Jesus is apparently so fierce that the fierce demons resort to begging his permission so that they don't torment, so that he doesn't torment them before the time. And all he says to them is, go, and they go. Verse 32, and he said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs. Go, and they go. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. Jesus gave them permission and they did exactly what he told them to do out of the men and into the pigs. And then another thing happens that, that makes us wonder what's going on with the pigs and who's responsible for this situation? 
Did the demons kill the pigs? Perhaps they, they wanted to get the city upset with Jesus, so they, they killed the pigs. But it seems unlikely that the, the demons are the ones in control here. They, Jesus seems to be in control. Did the pigs spook when the demons entered them? Commentators tell me that, that pigs don't actually move as a herd, and so this is very unusual. It's very uh, unlikely, that, or it's, this is not normal pig-like behavior. And actually, pigs can swim. I learned that you, they can actually go on YouTube and you can see little, there's Bahama pigs that kind of swim in the, the beautiful waters of the Bahamas. Kind of a fun little uh, video to, to watch one time on YouTube. But pigs can swim, so why didn't they swim? How steep was the bank? You know, there's a lot of questions we have. Did they, did they fall to their death or did they just drown in the water? All we know is that they died in the water. That's a literal translation. They died in the water. Another thing we know is that Jesus is in control. And, and if he can control the Sea of Galilee and handle very dangerous demon-possessed men, surely he could have stopped a storm, a, a, a stampede of pigs, demonized pigs. If he wanted to, he could have. Could have cast them out of the He could have done whatever he wanted. Now, some commentators were uncomfortable with Jesus being responsible for this. And you can kind of feel them squirm as you read the commentaries. You know, I can see a day coming where this story will be outlawed because of the, the violence against pigs in this story. But I think those of us who live around here, we know what happens to pigs, right? We know what, what the, the purpose of pigs is for, right? They, they were going to die, right? They were raised for food. Now they were going to die. They were going to die by the butcher. Now they died in the water. Jesus isn't too worried about that. They were going to die and be eaten by people. They died and got eaten by whatever was in that water or whatever. I'm not sure. That would have been quite a scene though. 2,000 pigs, Mark tells us. 2,000 pigs floating dead in the water or sinking in the water or whatever happens to pigs when they die in water. We're not told who's responsible for the death of the pigs, only that they died. They died in the water. Now, as we bring this first meeting to a close, let's not miss the main thing here. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has authority over demons. Demons and Satan, if you think about it, would be the only beings who could possibly give God any problems with his plan in the world, but no, God and his son have no difficulty dealing with them. There's not even a fight to happen here. Now, no mere man could even so much as pass by that way, but Jesus is no mere man and no demon can resist his will. But demons and Satan are too powerful for us. But if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. And if we submit to God and resist the devil, he will flee. Again, James 4 and verse 7 tells us that. And so we can be confident against the devil so long as we are strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, as Ephesians 6.10 tells us. 1 John 1.38, sorry, 1 John First John 3.8 says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And so we can take courage in the wrestle against these beings. We can take courage in the Lord. And that was the, 
the meeting with demon-possessed men. Now let's look at verses 33 and 34 and see the meeting with demon-like men. A meeting with demon-like men. Look at verse 33. The herdsmen fled. And going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. The herdsmen saw what happened, and they fled. Now, now they probably, if you think about it, they probably knew about these men. That's why in verse 30, they were at some distance away. Now, these herdsmen, they had one job, protect and feed the pigs. They were supposed to keep all the pigs alive, but they all died. You know, that's a, that's a bad day at work. And you could imagine going back to the boss. Uh, hey, uh, boss, uh, remember those, remember those like 2000 pigs? Yeah. And then you remember those like, those demon possessed guys in the hills? Uh, yeah, well, uh, you know, there's this guy came across the lake and, uh, and, and cast all the demons into the pigs and all the demons, uh, uh entered the pigs and the pigs died. Uh, you can come see him. He's down here by the water, right? That's just a bad day at work for these guys. And, and so they go to town and they tell the story and they tell the story about the pigs. Matthew makes to sure to let us know and what happened to the men. <clears throat> the town would have known those men, I'm sure. Naked, violent men who overpower anyone who passes that way tend to be a little bit well-known in town. You probably parents told their children, don't ever go down by the tombs there on the, you know, the east side or whatever that was. And so the whole city is, is curious and comes to check out the situation here. Now you might think that, that they'd be happy and, he, and this is a great opportunity for the gospel to go forth. Sure, the pigs died, but the, the town is safer and the men are cured, but the town is not happy. And they saw Jesus and they begged him to leave. Now there's, there's two or three words here in verse 34 that, that we need to notice that kind of make some parallel connections to what we've seen before. All the city came out to meet Jesus. And so they came out to meet. Meet is, is a, a Greek word and, and the, it's a, it's a noun and the, the parallel Verb form is used in verse 28 where the two demon-possessed men met him coming out. And so there's this meeting and coming out that's happening with the demon-possessed men and with the town. The city came out to meet him. The men came out to meet him. And the city begged him to leave. The men begged him. And that's the same word there again. And so come out, meet, and beg. Three words used kind of parallel in each story. The men begged him, send us into the herd. The demons begged him, send us into the herd. The city begged, leave our region. The demons wanted nothing to do with Jesus. The city wanted nothing to do with Jesus. And I think Matthew purposely made these, these two scenes parallel. And he wants us to see the similarity here. I think he wants us to see the similarities. To see Jesus... And to want him to leave or, or to, to want nothing to do with him is demonic. I'm sure the town, if I, if the town could be here and I, I said that, the, the town would have balked at the suggestion. We're not like demons. 
We just don't want this pig-killing Jewish leader, teacher in our area. But isn't that exactly how the unbeliever thinks? They say, I'm not demonic. I just don't want this fun-killing, sin-killing Savior telling me what to do. I'm not hostile to God. I just want him to leave me alone. But such an attitude is hostile towards God. To know Jesus and to know who he is and not to worship him, again, is demonic. To know that he invites you to himself, but to refuse to come to him is the height of wickedness. To know that he can drive out demons and that he came to destroy the works of the devil, but not to trust him to destroy those works in your life, is to choose the devil over God. That's what the people of Gerasenes did in the Gadara region. And Christ, he left them to their sin. He gave them up to their rejection. And so if you're hearing this message today, I would beg you to beg Christ not to, not to leave you alone, but to save you from your sins. And children, that's for you as well. Listen, beg Christ to not leave you alone, but to save you from your sins. Urge him to have mercy on you. Beg him to cast out your sin Because if you don't beg him to cast out your sin and save you from destruction, he will one day cast you into hell. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we just pray for any who are lost in our midst, who would say in their heart that they just want you to leave them alone. And we ask that you would save them by your grace, even this morning. And for those of us who are saved, Father, we thank you for the salvation. We thank you for delivering us from the demonic influence of the world and even our own flesh. And from drawing us to yourself. Thank you for not leaving us alone, but drawing us to yourself through your grace. We pray now that you would help us as we sing about your salvation. In Jesus' name. Amen.